Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for the fourth Sunday of Easter. That's April 30th, 2023. And the fourth Sunday of Easter is traditionally known as Good Shepherd Sunday. And in fact, this congregation, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, is named after this Sunday because I believe its inaugural worship service was held on the fourth Sunday of Easter. At any rate, the fourth Sunday of Easter is known as Good Shepherd Sunday because traditionally the gospel reading comes from John chapter 10. And so today we will be looking at the first 10 verses of that chapter. So John 10 verses 1 through 10 as Jesus begins his discourse with the, uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees, that he is, in fact, the good shepherd. Now, it's pretty common for people to interpret John chapter 10 thinking that Jesus is using the imagery of a shepherd and sheep and a sheepfold because they're so common around Judea and Jerusalem in the first century that everybody can identify with them. However, we need to keep in mind that as we read through the scriptures, we let the scriptures interpret scripture. And in fact, the Lord has had much to say about sheep and shepherds in the Old Testament. Namely, God declares himself to be the shepherd as in, of course, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He declares in Psalm 91 that we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So time and time again, God declares himself the shepherd and us the sheep. And so we should interpret John 10 and Jesus' words here, not in light of what herdsmen are doing in Judea, in 30 AD, but in what the Lord has said about sheep and shepherds in his word throughout the Old Testament. We also want to keep in mind that John 10 comes right after John chapter 9. And John chapter 9 is an extended story about Jesus healing the man who was born blind. If you remember, Jesus heals this man born blind on the Sabbath And the Pharisees haul the man in and ask, who did this to you? And because Jesus sent him off to the the pool at Siloam, the man has no idea who healed him. So they, they send the man away, call on his parents and say, is this your son? The parents say, he's our son, but as to who healed him, what happened? Let him speak for himself because the parents are terrified. They haul the man who is healed back in, and and they say, who did this? And and he said, I don't know, but clearly God is with him because I can see. And at that point, they grow frustrated with the man, and they cast him out of the synagogue, so he's no longer welcome among them or in their worship services. We also want to keep in mind that John 9 and John 10 are part of a long sequence of events that take place during one Feast of the Tabernacles. 
John 7 through 10, four chapters of the gospel are all events that take place during one visit to Jerusalem during the Feast of the Tabernacles. And as we talked about before, just briefly, the Feast of the Tabernacles is one of the big three pilgrimage feasts of the Jewish year, along with Passover and the the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. And the Feast of Tabernacles was uh, a feast in which all Jewish males gathered to Jerusalem and they lived in, in booths or tents made out of branches of trees to remember their time in the wilderness when God was leading their ancestors out of Egypt, across the wilderness, into the promised land, And during that time, they lived in tents because they were packing up and moving every so often. And in the midst of the encampment of all of these tents, there was the tabernacle, the tent of God, where God dwelt with his people. So, at the Feast of the Tabernacles, at the time of of Jesus' incarnate ministry, Um, the, The center point of the feast is the temple in Jerusalem. It's no longer the tabernacle, a tent. It's made of stone, but it's the house of God where God is present with his people. And a theme of the feast now in in first century A.D. is the gathering of God's people who are scattered throughout the nations gathering them together, not not simply to Jerusalem, but ultimately from all nations into the heavenly temple, into the presence of God. So once upon a time, it was God leading his people out of Egypt to the promised land. Since then, much has happened to the Jews. They've been conquered by the Assyrians and scattered. They've been conquered by the Babylonians and taken into captivity. And the Feast of the Tabernacles now has this this theme that God will gather his scattered people from all over and bring them into his presence for eternity. Now, when they're thinking God's people are the Jews, the the biological descendants of of Abraham, and of course, you and I know that, that really the Feast of the Tabernacles and this gathering is fulfilled in Christ, who gathers believers, both Jews and Gentiles, from all nations to give them eternal life, to give them the kingdom of heaven. Remember, by the way, as we look at this passage that takes place during the Feast of Tabernacles, and while the focus of the feast is that stone temple in Jerusalem, that Jesus is the new temple. He is how God is now present with his people. And again, a key passage for this is John chapter 2, when Jesus cleanses the temple, um, drives out the money changers, and and drives out the sheep and the oxen and and the pigeons. And, And the Jewish leaders say, you know, show us a sign as to why we should let you get away from this. And he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And John tells us the temple he was talking about was his body. So, 
Jesus is the new temple. God no longer dwells behind stone walls in the Holy of Holies of the temple in Jerusalem. He is now present with his people in the flesh. Wherever Jesus goes, that's where the true temple is. And meanwhile, that temple in Jerusalem, the stone temple, which is supposed to be the seat of worshiping what the one true God is controlled by the Sadducees, who are really kind of unbelieving priests for the most part, very sympathetic to, to the Gentiles. Um, the, the, the temple is a hot spot for the Pharisees, who teach that you're saved by works, not by, not by grace and faith. And so the temple in Jerusalem is sort of a headquarters now for a lot of really, really bad worship. One more thing before we get into this text. We're only looking at 10 verses. And we want to make sure that we understand that in these 10 verses, we have two different mm, sayings, or perhaps we could call them parables or proverbs. So we get two different little stories to illustrate what Jesus is saying in this uh, in this short text. They both begin with him saying, truly, truly, or in the Greek, amen, amen, which kind of signals to us that it's not the same story carrying on. And then these, these two little sayings or these two little stories are divided by a note that, um, that Jesus' hearers didn't understand what he was saying. With that, I think we're just about ready to look at the actual text. Well, a couple more things. During these, these big feasts, like the Feast of Booths or Passover or Pentecost, there was a lot of worship at the temple. And as part of that worship, the, uh, the, the priests and the people would, would sing or chant a lot of the psalms that you find in the Bible. So, for instance, one psalm they would use would be Psalm 24. And that was a song, uh, that was a psalm rather that involved um, going to the temple. And so, for instance, Psalm 24, verse 3 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, says the psalmist. Now, that's um, not just metaphor, but that's really what's happening. To enter the temple, there's the outer court where anybody can be, and then the inner court where only the clean, the pure of heart and hand can be. And in between the outer court and the inner court is a stairway of 15 steps. So to enter the inner court where the altar is and where the temple building is, you would have to ascend these 15 steps. And when you got to the gate... There would be priests there who would check to make sure that you were holy and cleansed and qualified, prepared to enter into the inner kingdom. 
So when the psalm says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in the holy place in the inner courtyard? Well, the answer is, make sure your hands are clean and your heart is pure before you try to go through the gate. Now that psalm continues to say this, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors. So as, a, as the people of Israel throughout the centuries celebrated the Feast of the Tabernacles and were, were chanting Psalm 24 as it got prepared to enter the inner courtyard of the temple, going up these steps, making sure they were clean in heart and hand, they also anticipated the time when their king, the Lord himself, would enter those gates in the flesh. We also have Psalm 100, another feast psalm, which begins, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Well, how would you come into his presence? You would enter the temple grounds. The psalm continues, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. And check this out. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So in Psalm 100, as you enter the inner courtyard of the temple, as you enter into where God is present, that is where the sheep of God, the people of his pasture gather, and God is not just their king, but their shepherd. In other words, Psalm 100 implies that the temple is a sheepfold where the Lord, the good shepherd, is with his sheep, his people. And so the psalm continues, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And of course, you can only enter his gates if you are pure in heart and hand. And then the psalm says, Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So you can enter his gates pure in heart and hand because... The Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And so he will purify his people. He will cleanse them so that they can enter his presence. All right, now, now we're ready to look at John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Jesus is still speaking to the, uh, the Jewish leaders who are upset that he healed this man born blind. This is a continuation of the story in John chapter 9. And so he says to these men who are already offended by him, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep to him, the gatekeeper opens. Now, the term sheepfold in verse 1 
In the Old Testament, uh, in the Greek translation called the Septuagint, that word sheepfold overwhelmingly refers not to a place where sheep spend the night, but that word is overwhelmingly used in that Greek translation to mean the courtyard of the temple. So, rather than just using your friendly, everyday neighborhood sheepfold as an illustration, what Jesus is saying with these words is, the one who does not enter the, the, the court of the temple by the gate, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Well, how do you get into the temple courtyard through the gate? By being declared pure and holy by the gatekeeper. Who is pure and holy? Jesus is. And he is the shepherd of the sheep because he is the Lord. And because he is the pure and holy shepherd of the sheep, the gatekeeper, God the Father, lets him in. Now, the Pharisees and the chief priests might be going in and out the gateway of the physical temple in Jerusalem. But here Jesus says, if you're not pure in heart and hand, if you're not declared clean by God, you're really a thief and a robber. Jesus goes on to say, The sheep hear his voice, the shepherd's voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. Now, like the terms of sheepfold for courtyard and and, and the door there, by the way, is also translated gate. So it's, it's the temple gate he's talking about. When Jesus says he calls his own sheep by name, that's not just reflecting that shepherds name their sheep. It goes back to Old Testament passages like, like uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, where, where God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Why are they his people? Because they hear him and they follow him. As Jesus says here, the sheep hear his voice. Also keep in mind Isaiah 43, verse 1 But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. So when Jesus says here that the shepherd calls his own sheep by name, he's saying the shepherd is the Lord himself, calling and gathering his people by his voice, by his word. Now he says here, the the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Now, leads them out is Exodus language. Using Moses as his guy, the Lord led them out of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. Once to the promised land, to Jerusalem, and ultimately when it was built, the temple. Now this might have us scratching our head for a second because now the imagery is that if the sheepfold is the temple, the shepherd enters 
the temple, gathers his sheep, and then leads him out? Like the Lord led people out of Egypt? That would make that temple in Jerusalem like Egypt where they were slaves to Pharaoh. And that's actually what Jesus is saying. Because of the false teaching of the Sadducees and the false teaching of the Pharisees, the temple in Jerusalem has become a place where the people are held in bondage to their sin because they're not forgiven. So Jesus enters the promised land. He enters Judea and Jerusalem and the temple courtyard to lead his people out from that place, to lead his people out of that temple in Jerusalem and all that it represents. Why? Because he's leading them to a better temple, because he is the temple. If they follow him, they are with God, present with his people. So Jesus says, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. So some more interesting wordplay here. The shepherd leads them out, and when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. Now, the brought out all of his own there, the word brought out is actually better translated cast out. When he's thrown out all of his own, he goes before them. Which sounds funny until you relate this back to John chapter 9, And the man born blind healed because that man is interrogated by by the Jewish leaders. And when he defends Jesus as, as one sent by God, they throw him out. They cast him out of the synagogue and say, you're no longer welcome here. What's the result? Jesus finds him. And instead of going back to the synagogue and and the, the false doctrine there, the man follows Jesus. Now Jesus says in the first of these two sayings of John 10, 1 through 10, that that, um, the imagery is as as the shepherd, he enters the temple, the sheepfold, and he grabs his people, and like the blind man, he throws them out of there. And once they're thrown out of that temple that's full of false teaching, what do they do? They follow him. They follow God present with his people in the flesh. And he goes before them, says Jesus, which is more Exodus language. During the Exodus, the Lord went before his people in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And now Jesus, the Lord in the flesh, he goes before them, leading them. Where is he leading them? To the promised land of heaven. And to get them there, he's going to go on his own to the cross and die and rise again so they might cross the Jordan, as it were, in death and enter the promised land of heaven. 
So he, he grabs his people in the temple. He throws them out and he follows them. And what do they do? They listen to his voice. They follow his word. They conform themselves to, this, to, to the, the Savior's words and they stop listening to false teachers who are just thieves and robbers and strangers. So far more than this nice little pastoral scene where Jesus says, hey, I'm like a shepherd who takes care of sheep. Jesus says, in the Old Testament, the Lord was a shepherd. I'm the Lord in the flesh. The temple was supposed to be the sheepfold where my people were safe. They're not safe because of you guys. So I enter the temple and I enter all of Judea. I grab my people. I throw them out of your care. And then I lead them to the promised land. Quite a statement by Jesus. And in verse 6, the response is, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. They really should. These are scholars steeped in the Old Testament. They should get all this imagery and put it together and and perhaps, perhaps at least know what he's talking about, if not repent and follow him. But because they don't have faith, they can't see how the Old Testament would apply to Jesus, whom they think is a blasphemer and a heretic. So Jesus Jesus changes tactics and he moves on to a second saying in verse 7. But he's going to change the imagery just a little bit. In the second story, in the second proverb or parable, Jesus doesn't say that he is the shepherd. Instead, Jesus says that he is the door or he is the gate of the temple. Now, before we move on, we want to take a quick look at passages from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 was used at the Feast of the Tabernacles. So when Jesus has this conversation, it's ringing in the ears of his hearers. And it was used at that feast to celebrate God's victory over his enemies. In fact, Because of some of the great statements in this psalm, it's now the psalm appointed for Easter Sunday every year. And and part of Psalm 118, as it talks about God's victory, includes verses 19 and 20, which says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. So this is a reference again to the door or the gates at the the wall between the outer courtyard of the temple and the inner courtyard where the the altar and and the temple building were. And so in this this psalm, um, it's kind of a psalm where they move towards the altar and the temple building and, and they get to verse 19 and 20 and cry out, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. And only the righteous enter through this, says the psalm. And so this declares that that first off, it's a prophecy that Jesus will enter into the presence of his Father. And because of Jesus, we can also enter righteous into the presence of God. Now, following those verses... 
This psalm becomes a psalm rejoicing in God's victory and rejoicing in salvation. And after the Jews came out of the exile in Babylon and rebuilt the temple and rebuilt Jerusalem, the last part of the psalm became a a psalm that anticipated God's future victory in the coming Messiah. So they sang this psalm for a few centuries about the coming Christ. And these verses go like this. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, this, of course, is a prophecy of Jesus. He applies it to himself, that he is the one who is rejected, and he becomes the cornerstone on which the church is built. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And the psalm declares of of that day of, of resurrection, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then the next verse of Psalm 118 Verse 25, actually verses 25 and 26 say, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Now save us, we pray, O Lord. Save us in verse 25. The Hebrew is Hosanna. And so verses 25 and 26 are what the people will shout when Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are declaring that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah of Psalm 118, which really upsets the Pharisees and the chief priests. Now, again, this part of the psalm is after after they've gotten through the gates into the inner court. And so it continues, The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. So this victory is associated with a sacrifice. And then the psalm concludes with giving thanks to God. And a lot of the imagery of this psalm is built around those gates of righteousness between the inner court and the outer court. And Jesus is about to declare, I am the door, by which he is saying, he is the gate, the entry, through which the righteous pass through to be in the presence of God. So here we go with with his his second little saying in this brief text. Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. All right, so Jesus is the gate of righteousness in the temple, he says. Those who, who want to enter into God's presence, righteous and clean and holy, they must pass through him. He says this in a different way. Four chapters later in John 14, verse 6, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Anyone else cannot be the door. Anyone else is a thief and a robber because they cannot make anyone righteous. Only Jesus can be the gate because he is the righteous son of God. And furthermore, by associating himself with that gate into the inner courtyard, he's drawing attention to the fact that inside that gate is the altar where the sacrifice is made. So he's insinuating to his hearers that he will be the sacrifice. And as he says later on in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Back to his, his sayings, or his, his second saying here, he continues in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Remember again in Psalm 118, people call to enter through the gates um, as righteous people, and then they rejoice in salvation. Here Jesus says, anybody who's entered through me, um, he will be saved. And then wherever he goes, he goes as one righteous and God is with him. And then Jesus concludes his second uh, story by saying, the thief comes only to kill, I'm sorry, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus declares that those who enter through him are righteous and then they find good pasture. And good pasture is not just a metaphor for a good life. But good pasture is opposed to wilderness. Good pasture is a symbol of the promised land. And good shepherd, I'm sorry, good pasture has actually been a, a symbol of, of Zion, the Temple Mount, and of course, the temple itself, because that's where God has been present. Whoever enters God's presence through Jesus is present with God because he is with Jesus and Jesus is with him and Jesus makes him righteous and therefore says, salvation is yours. And of course, for you and me today, the good pasture we have in part is... Um, is the Lord's presence in his word and in his supper. For that's where the Lord gathers us together, maintains our righteousness, strengthens our faith, until he comes again in glory. And as he declared prophetically in Psalm 118, verse 17, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Now as his people, the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand, we look forward to eternal life. And in the meantime, we recount the deeds of the Lord. 
All right, so that's a really quick look at the gospel reading for this Sunday, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. A lot more going on there than just a nice view of a shepherd and sheep. As Jesus declares himself to be the Son of God who makes us righteous and leads us to the kingdom of heaven. God grant you every good gift in your further meditations on this text. God grant you every blessing if you're teaching this to others. And until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.